Good morning. Um, thank you to Jason for that beautiful reading. I um, appreciate that. So this morning, um, I won't spend much time exploring what this new wine is, um, but rather a question of how can we receive it. The passage of the wineskins leaves me wondering, how can our faith be expanded to contain whatever newness Jesus would like to give? The Bible is filled with stories of people who, like the Pharisees in this passage, um, fail to recognize the glory of God right in front of them. Their expectations of who God can be somehow became rigid and they miss out. I don't want that for my faith, and I'm sure you don't either. So how can we take our expectations and open them up? How can we become ready for new wine? For clues, I looked backwards. Um, Mark chapter 2 opens with the story of the paralytic man being lowered through the roof of a synagogue by his friends. Jesus forgives him publicly and causes doubts in the minds of the Pharisees who are watching. So Jesus says to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take up your mat, and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he says, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. And he heals the man, surprising everyone. It's unexpected. Then right after that, before we get to the wineskin passage... Jesus visits the tax collector, hated tax collector, Levi or Matthew, um, and invites him to become his disciple. Levi throws a huge banquet in his home, and he invites many other tax collectors and sinners, and Jesus and his disciples are criticized for being in their company. He responds, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Again, surprising many. So now we come to Mark chapter 2, 18 to 22, which Jason read for us. Um, And another clue to me is that this passage is actually repeated in Matthew 9 and Luke 5, nearly word for word. And uh, in all three synoptic gospels, this passage about wineskins is preceded by the same two stories. The paralytic coming through the roof and being healed and Levi's banquet. So this gives me a clue that perhaps there's some wisdom in these stories about how we may expand our faith to contain the newness that Jesus offers. So this morning I'd like to explore this question with you by sharing um, some of my personal story. Um, Thank goodness I did not spend the time on exegesis because my lack of biblical knowledge was exposed by that quiz, unfortunately. (laughs) So... Thank goodness I've decided to share mostly just story today. (laughs) Um, So I'd like to highlight three threads of how my personal wineskins expanded. First, by receiving hospitality. I was hosted by people very different from myself, just like Jesus and his disciples were hosted by Levi and the sinners. Secondly, I encountered weakness in myself. I was forced to recognize myself as the sinner that Jesus said he came to call. 
And thirdly, and perhaps most mysteriously, my faith expanded through love, love demonstrated in unexpected ways, much like the unexpected love coming through the roof of the synagogue. So um, a bit about me, since you don't know me. Um, Throughout my life, I have fallen in love with the Christian story and with Christ. Um, When I was very young, I loved hearing stories about how Jesus welcomed little children like me. I loved imagining and experiencing this ever-present, ever-loving God. And to me, even young, the presence of Jesus was very real and very comforting. Jesus was an inspirational figure. I especially loved hearing stories of Jesus helping um, beggars and outcasts. And as I grew into a teenager, the idea of a God who moves throughout history, calling all people to worship and live in harmony was captivating. I trusted God who comforted me in prayer and scripture through sad and scary times like when my grandmother died and when my family fought. When I chose to follow the ideals set forward in Christianity, I made meaningful and life-enriching decisions, speaking to people who I wouldn't normally speak to, and making risky decisions with my time and energy. So to me, following God uh, meant that my life could become a part of like a big and meaningful story. As I continued to grow in my love for Jesus uh, at uni, learning more about um, God's heart for social justice, and God's special love for marginalized people. This led me to try to locate myself in marginal spaces, um, spending time volunteering and living in low-income areas of Los Angeles, where I went to uni. So I witnessed some sad things, but also amazing things. Miraculous healing, people whose lives and heartbreak were vastly improved by faith in Jesus. And my life was vastly improved by my faith life with Jesus. My experience reflected the words in the Gospel of John, which affirm that Jesus is the light of the world. So eventually this faith led me to move to a slum community in Bangkok, Thailand. Through a series of experiences over several years, I felt drawn to Bangkok, even though at that time I had never visited. I saved my money for a visit, And when I did, I was uncomfortable, but I felt this strange sense of home. Um, So I decided to move there and join in with a community of people, both Western and Thai, who were living and seeking God's grace in a network of uh, slum communities. So I felt this call, like a tug on my heart to go, and I interpreted that God was calling me to be like a host or a holder of light, God's light, somehow, in the community. I did believe in the intrinsic worth of the community without me, but I also believed at that time that value is somehow like unlocked by the Holy Spirit through a belief in Jesus, and that human potential comes to its fullness in the Christian context. So I actually, I wouldn't have said these words, but I believed myself as a Christian to have a superior spirituality to that of my Buddhist neighbors. And this sense of superiority, built through years of positive, wonderful experiences in the Christian world, was like an old wineskin. The realities of life in Thailand and the presence of God encountered there simply did not fit.
So in Thailand, if you have been there, you will, you will have seen that visual symbols of Buddhism and Thai animist tradition abound everywhere. There are brightly colored ribbons wrapped around trees, incense burning on every corner, um, spirit houses adorning every home and shop. In Thailand, there's a saying that to be Thai is to be Buddhist. Even non-Buddhists can't avoid this. Um, my Christian housemates and I, we had a spirit house in our house too, which belonged to our landlord. Um, I didn't quite know what to make of visits to temples, um, money trees, and all of the other religious practices which I was regularly invited to attend. I saw neighbors, slum dwellers, donate their entire monthly salary to someone else's temple in their faraway hometown, which needed a new roof. Um, I was especially moved in my early months when I went to a rice gathering ceremony with several women from my community. The unquestionable leader of the group was a woman named uh, Bajel, who was like the, she's like the social glue of the community, the queen bee, you might say. Um, in the emotional rock, really. Uh, years later, she privately confessed to my roommate and I that she could never show tears to the others in the neighborhood, that she had to be strong. Yet during this ceremony, there were long periods of prayer as the monks chanted. And I saw Bajel with the others, her eyes closed in prayer and tears just rolling down her cheeks. I was sitting in the back. Um, I wasn't participating, I was just watching. Um, but the moment was so clearly meaningful for her that it became meaningful for me as well. I was so moved to see this strong woman in tears during her spiritual practice. It seemed to be a holy moment. Over the years, I would come to see the temple as a place of peace and be incredibly grateful for its place in the community. It was a place that offer, still offers consistent free meals for neighbors who don't have an income. Um, it was a safe place to sleep for we had a friend uh, who was an autistic um, child who compulsively ran away from home and the, this was a safe place for him. Um, and when I lived on the Thai Burma border and police came through to do sweeps checking for Burmese migrant workers who might not have their paperwork in order. The temple was a refuge for them. It was off limits for police sweeps. So it was a safe place where all were welcome. So especially in those early years when I was still learning the language, um, I couldn't really speak or ask much um, about this spirituality, um, but I was compelled to listen and observe. And I saw enough beauty there that the listening left me curious. So not only was I challenged by kind of the beauty and reality of my Buddhist neighbors' spiritual lives, but also the hardship of their material lives. Living in a squatter community, I was confronted by human realities of inequality. It was a global power imbalance that I had not really had to confront before. Um, as an upper middle class American, I was born among the powerful, but I had the opportunity to learn the ways and navigate among less powerful when I moved to Thailand. When I listened to these, their stories, it impacted me. I wondered how things could be so unfair, how one family could bear so much. 
Living in the midst of those caught in the crush of injustice, I found myself unsettled. Um, and I was recognizing that the light that I carried into the community as a Christian individual paled in the shadow of centuries of injustice. So these cracks began to form in my sense of superiority. By noticing both the beauty and the pain in this new community, my wineskin was beginning to feel inadequate. However, this type of crack in my superiority did not fully appear until I was confronted um, with my own weakness. I had marveled at my Buddhist neighbors' divine encounters and even the sacredness of their pain, but in order to expand my faith, I needed to accept my own spiritual failings. Um, so when I moved to Thailand, my um, wineskin of superiority maintained that my life could reflect the superior nature of Jesus' love through basically being happier and acting holier than my Buddhist neighbors. If these beliefs were challenged by my first four years in Bangkok, they were shattered when I moved to the border of Myanmar. Um, because there, I hit a wall of depression. I had um, just gotten married to my husband, Rod. Um, I had joined a new organization, and it was a completely different context in language. Um, and these sudden changes sparked uh, emotional and spiritual crisis for me. Um, I behaved in ways that I violated my values that I'm not proud of, and I vacillated between bouts of crying and acting out in anger. So I no longer harbored any illusions of myself as someone who could demonstrate Christ's light in um, a Buddhist world by being happy and peaceful and loving in a superlative way because I wasn't any of those things. The superiority wineskin had burst. I had become weak. In my weakness, I could no longer see myself as like a container of God's light, but there were still reminders that God's light was in me. Um, I got to be friends with a younger woman who lived two doors down. Um, she was looking for an English tutor and I was looking for a Burmese language tutor. So we had a language exchange. So I got to know her family. Um, I had gone with her brother and sister-in-law to the Thai doctor to help translate. And a few months later, that same brother um, died of a sudden stroke as he was riding his bicycle. The family was devastated. Um, and I did nothing to help them other than visit and listen. And barely even that because of this language barrier. But some sort of love was exchanged um, because my friend's mother asked me, how did I get to be the way I am? Why, why was I so good? She would later say that I was the family's dearest friend. So perhaps a life-giving force still beamed forward in my relationship with others. Because of these relationships, um, I couldn't completely conclude that the light of God was not in me. It was still present, only now I was starting to interpret light as not so much something that I brought, located primarily within me, but more often something that shines especially bright in relationship between people, in loving encounter. So this was the beginning of a new wineskin 
a faith not formed by superiority, but by openness in relationship. So the year I lived on the border, I was extended much warmth and welcome by my Buddhist neighbors in a time where I sorely needed it. Uh, Our next door neighbor, who was a shopkeeper, shared meals with us several times a week. Um, Another neighbor was too young to work at the factory, so she accompanied me on my errands, had a companion. Um, And I like doing like exercise, home exercise videos. And when my neighbors discovered this, um, we formed like a little club to do Zumba together in the afternoons. (laughs) So um, even though there was no church and no Christians other than us, in our neighborhood, my neighbors became my community um, on the border. And I was surprised by the depth of support that I found there. Um, I used to think I could only find um, deep relationships within the church. However, the disruption was so much that uh, when my husband and I returned to live in Bangkok the following year, um, I didn't immediately connect with the church, even though there was one there. Eventually, I was surprised to find myself most unguarded with one of my non-religious Buddhist neighbors who lived two doors down. This is another slum community. Um, She was an educated lady about my age who suffered from untreated schizophrenia when I met her. Um, Schizophrenia runs in my family, and so I knew that medicine could help. Um, So I coordinated with her mother and sister to help get treatment for her. And then after the treatment, I knew that she would need um, support and a friend. So I invited her on outings to watch television together. And at first, this was all out of a sense of duty, um, because I helped coordinate this. So um, however, as the months went on, I realized that I felt more myself around her than around anyone in my church. Um, I usually accompanied her to her monthly follow-up appointments. And one day she stopped by to ask if I would come with her to the doctor the next day. I had forgotten about that appointment, so I was like, oh yes, um, thanks so much for reminding me. And she stopped and smiled and said, Lexi, I'm not reminding you, I'm inviting you. And I've never forgotten that statement because it encapsulated the whole relationship. I had thought at first it was a duty But instead, it was this incredible gift I was invited to receive. So my new wineskin expanded, able to contain this unexpected gift that God was giving giving me. So love, it turned out, was the new wine which expanded and ultimately cracked my wineskin of superiority. The power of this love was unlocked in my neighbors by my weakness before them. When I was uh, struggling with life on the border, I was the weaker party, and the strength of my neighbor's love broke open my superior wineskin. So my Buddhist neighbor's unexpected love for me revealed my humanity in a deeper sense, which in turn revealed a bigger and fuller sense of God's surprising presence. So now, That is my story, and we'll return back to the question about wineskins from the beginning. How can we become containers that are able to hold the grace that is in front of us? I suggest there are three possible ways. Um, Displacement, weakness, and love. So firstly, we can follow Jesus into the homes 
of people who are very different from us. We can listen and we can stay long enough to observe the beauty and spiritual depth of others, just like Jesus saw in Levi, as well as share in their pain. Secondly, we can encounter our own weakness. We often don't have much of a choice about when and how we go through seasons of extreme weakness, but we do know that Jesus has affirmed this as a place of spiritual growth and potential. Those who are sick and those who are sinners are those who are able to develop new wineskins. Finally, and perhaps most importantly, our faith expands through love. At first, when I looked at the context of the new wineskins passage, I was confused at how the story of the paralyzed man fit in. What lessons did this teach us about how we can expand our faith? And then it hit me, love. Jesus knew that the Pharisees watching lacked love for this man, but Jesus' radical love and acceptance had already completed the new wineskin within him even before the physical healing occurred. The and the love of the man's friends, literally took the roof off of the old wineskin faith tradition. Love between friends can literally let the light in and usher in the presence of God. So for me, as my faith has shifted, it no longer insists on superiority, but remains open and eager to engage with others as we encounter divine mystery together. But there are many more new wineskin stretchings for me to come and for you as well, I'm sure. So I'll close with a quote from uh, Rowan Williams' book, which is called God With Us. And he's writing here about the disciples on the road to Emmaus. That story, uh, it's one of several stories where those who loved and followed Jesus actually didn't recognize him when he came to them in his resurrected form. There's something strange about him, and yet Jesus continues to appear and even invites those who didn't at first recognize him to come closer and to ponder him. Jesus is for them and for us, this is this quote, not what they have thought him to be. Thus, they must learn him afresh as from the beginning. So may we continue to learn Jesus afresh as God fills us with new wine. Thank you.